0: Amen.
1: You may be seated.
0: Well, if you have your Bibles, if you will turn to Daniel chapter 2. And while you're turning there, we, we kind of ended on a high note last week, remember? Uh, Daniel chapter 1. Um, Daniel, he decided to um, have this Christ centered um, identity and he stood for the things of God rather than participating in the the idol worship through the eating of the meat sacrificed to idols and the wine um, for, for the idols. And he, he chose a distinct life, right? He stood, um, he maintained his identity in God, a God-centered identity, a Christ-centered identity. It, and it, it ended well for him, right? If, if you remember the end of chapter 1, he had sort of been promoted um, kind of to the, the the top ranks underneath Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, as like, like a top advisor, and it kind of left us with this idea that maybe maybe we can survive in Babylon. Maybe we can maintain a Christ-centered identity in Babylon. Maybe we can function at a high level in Babylon um in a culture that is hostile towards God. Maybe maybe it can be good for us. Left on a high note and you know high notes are good, right? Well about 6 months before I came to be your pastor you got most you know the story about Catherine, you know, with her diagnosis and um, not expecting to live past infancy, and that's all we'd ever heard. And and in the middle of that, um, Randy's dad, we'll just call him Big Randy. So if I'm talking about Randy, my wife, or Big Randy, my father-in-law, you know who I'm talking about. Um, Big Randy um, come down with leukemia, um, this, the, and and so that we're dealing with that. And I remember we were sitting in Little Rock, Arkansas, in the hospital. And for the very first time up in Catherine's life, we had heard good news from her sur- during a surgery. I remember, man, how, how could this day get any better? And while Catherine was having her surgery, we got a call from her dad who had been to the doctor. And the doctor said, I don't know how to explain this. There is no explanation, but the, the, the leukemia, the blood disease that was there shows no signs of being there now. All right, and you can imagine um, the high that we're that we on, right? Um, and, and so we ha- we had bad news, and then we had good news that, that there was no signs of the disease. But listen, the disease, it, it, the the signs came back, and it, and it claimed ended up claiming his life um, that that same year, the year that we came here. Have you ever had bad news followed by good news followed by Bad news, because if you have it, can be absolutely crushing. How can we? How can we have a Christ-centered attitude in the middle of defeat? In chapter one, chapter one ends well. Chapter two. Listen, I, I, we don't have time to read every little verse in Daniel. Um, sometimes it's hard to do um, exposition, um, in a sense, like we do Ephesians, where we go verse by verse, by verse, by verse. Sometimes it's hard to do, particularly in the Old Testament. So I'm going to pick a part, and I'm going to try to explain everything else going on in chapter 2, but I want you to go home and read it as a bedtime story. In fact, read through the book of Daniel as we're going through, through this, okay? Because uh, it is rich. It's rich in what, what's happening. So chapter 1 ends well. Chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and it really it really messes with him, right? Have you ever woken up a dream in the middle of the night? And it might be weird, like like you, you know you're not boiling, and you, you know you're not being boiled in a... In a hot vat of butter, but just when you wake up in the middle of that, like you can't go back to sleep, just worried about, am I going to be boiled in a in a vat of butter? You know, weird dreams. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream in the middle of the night, and it affects him, like like he can't he can't go back to sleep, and so he calls all of his wise men and he asks them to interpret the dream. He says, tell me tell me what my dream means. Oh, by the way, I'm not going to even tell you what the dream was. You tell me what I dreamed. Because I know how you guys are, you tell me what I want to hear. I don't need I don't need that. I need to know what it means. So I'm not going to tell you the dream. You tell me what I dreamed. And then you tell me what that dream means. And oh by the way, if you can, I'm going to kill you. That's not that's not good news. If someone doesn't interpret the dream, they're all going to die, including Daniel. So he's down in chapter 1 because he's at a a new place. But then God blesses him and he's up in chapter 1 because of the blessing of God. And then he's down in chapter 2 because he's about to be killed for not being able to interpret this dream. And and then he's up in chapter 2 because God shows him what the dream means. God reveals what the dream was and He reveals what it means. But then he ends in great disappointment in the dream itself. The meaning of the dream itself. So, all that to, to get us where we're at, in summary, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. God reveals to Daniel what that dream was and what the answer to the dream is, and Daniel's just on this roller coaster of emotion throughout his time in Babylon. Okay, that leads us to verse 31 of chapter 2. If you found that, if you would stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. Here's what God revealed to Daniel about the dream. Daniel speaking to the king in verse 31. He said, You saw, O king, and behold a great image. This image mighty and of exceeding brightness stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay, and as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand. And it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. <laughs> then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. How many are confused right now, right? Doesn't doesn't make a whole lot of sense um, what we just read, but you're kind of like, "Yay, Daniel, interpret the dream. Um, g- good job." But well, let me tell you why this is why this is this would have been disappointing for Daniel. Okay, Daniel, again, he's in captivity and he thinks. That the captivity is going to last just a matter of years, right? Like Jeremiah, as he's prophesying, he's talking about this gonna last 70 years. And so Daniel's thinking that, okay, sometime in my lifetime, this is probably gonna to come to an end, and I'm gonna to get to go back home. And not only am I gonna to get to go back home to my land, um, but Israel, our nation, is gonna be restored to the glory that it once was. But the dream that he has, that that he revealed, that God reveals to him, the dream's gonna reveal that none of that is going to happen. Okay, as, you, as you read on in chapter 2, you can read this later, Daniel begins to talk about each each part of the statue represents a different nation that's going to come in and rule over Israel. Okay, the head of the statue in all its glory, that's Babylon. And listen, we don't, we don't know who these nations are if you're Daniel at the time, but us getting to look back at history, we know that the... That the gold head was Babylon, and we know that the silver was Persia, who came in later and, and conquered Babylon and taking Israel with them. We know that the bronze um, was Alexander the Great in Greece, in history, and in and, and his massive empire that we have, the, the, or that we saw. The iron was Rome that would come in and rule over Israel. The iron clay um, was a revived Rome that would rule over Israel. Listen, all of these nations would rule Israel. And think about what Daniel's hearing. I want to go home. I want it to be like it once was. And here's what God's revealing. Things aren't changing much in your lifetime. They're not changing in your kid's lifetime. Or your kid's kids. Or your kid's kids' kids. Okay, it's like a, a, a grim picture. Now, now at some point... The king lets them go back. Some of them go back to Israel. That that does happen. Remember we talked about Nehemiah and building the wall at some point. He lets some of them go back. But what Daniel's hearing as he prays for God to release us from Babylon, release us from Babylon, release us, send us back home, what he hears is it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen the way you think. What do you do with that? Because many people here um, maybe, in a, maybe maybe haven't gotten the word, haven't gotten the news they want to hear. Like medically, there are people here in this room from a medical standpoint who haven't gotten the news they want to hear. You know, people in this room, maybe maybe it's marriage. Maybe you work hard in this marriage and if I just do this, then God's going to bless my marriage and it's going to be um, all taken care of. And how does that happened we got people in this room, their kids, um, living living in rebellion towards the Lord, towards them, and just the pain that that caused, no matter how much you pray. There's things at work. Praying, You're praying that it'll get better. Praying it'll get better. Praying, praying it'll get better. It doesn't seem to be happening. Not by a show of hands. Are there anyone here whose attitude has been affected? attitude towards God attitude towards what he's doing attitude attitude towards the love that you those that you love most anyone here with a loss of hope how is it possible to have a Christ centered attitude and Christ centered hope when all you experience is defeat this morning what we're talking we're going to talk about four keys four keys to a Christ-centered attitude when all you feel is defeated. Alright? How many are with me? Alright? Four keys to a Christ-centered attitude when all you feel is defeat. Number one. Here's what we do. Here's how to have a Christ-centered attitude when all we feel is defeat. Number one, we have to spend time in intense prayer. Spend time in intense prayer. If you look at verse 17 um, with me, we're going to see what, what happens. Then Daniel, verse 17, Then Daniel went to his house and made the mat, the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that's who we know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his companions, verse 18, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. All right, like he's like he's like, "Guys, if we if something doesn't happen, we're all going to be killed. Start praying." Like like how many of us start praying, right? Like that's that's when we tend to pray the most is when our backs against the wall. We feel like there's like our lives are at stake. That's when our prayer lives seem to really really increase. You better believe these guys are praying. You know, there are times in life when it feels like the rug is just ripped out from underneath us and it feels as if Jesus is all we have. But listen, he's still all we need. When we cry out to him, when we cry out to God, he hears. He's, he's as close as the whisper of his name. Where you are, and maybe, maybe feeling defeated, maybe feeling down, in the midst of an attitude that does not honor God, maybe in, in wherever you're at, you can cry out to him, and he will hear. You know, uh, I remember a time. You know, I I told you that they didn't expect Catherine to live past the infancy. I remember a time. It, it was actually right around the time that big Randy. He, he had just a couple days left, um, a couple days. And so Catherine, we're we're in Hobart, America. Um, in Hobart, they've got this hospital here, and I'm sure it's I'm sure it's fine, but it's not equipped to handle kids with cardiology um, cardiology needs. And so Catherine, she goes into the hospital like like the day. Or two before Big Randy um, passes away, and um, it's just a, a horrible time for for her to have a hospital stay. And this little girl is, is we're trying to get an IV in. They're trying to draw blood. They're trying to do all these things. And that was the only time out of all her whole life that I thought this could be it for her. You should just you should have seen her. It doesn't sound bad. They're trying to draw blood. They're trying. But it, but the only time I thought this could be it. My little girl. I remember Randy crying, not now. Not in the midst of everything else we're going through. And they took us out in the hall. They got us out of the room. We're sitting out there. We could hear her. We could hear them struggling, trying to to take care of her. And all I could get out was, God, help. Over and over, God, help. God help. God help us. And He did. He did. It's not our it's not our massive words, our massive vocabulary, um, that takes us to God. It's not how much Scripture we know that takes us to God. It's simply a heart so wrapped up in Him as being the only thing that can help. Jesus prayed this way in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that? The night that He's he's arrested and He goes to the cross, He asks His disciples, stay up and pray, stay up and pray, stay up and pray. They can't, they can't keep their eyes open. But He prays so intensely, it's as if drops of blood, right? Drops of blood, He sweat drops of blood as He is praying intently um, for what He's about to do. Not for fear of the cross. I don't believe that. But That there's a moment coming where all of my sins and your sins are going to be heaped upon him, and and the God, the God the Father is going to look away and turn his back on his son. And he prays with this intensity. There's there's a devil out to destroy us. You know that. Like like he's he's going to try to use everything to get us mad at God. To get us discouraged, to, to let us feel defeated, to feel like like God lies when he says that he's enough for us, that whenever it says in his word that his grace is sufficient, that somehow it's not, that's what the devil's gonna to try to get us to buy into. That's why we gotta pray with intensity. That in that moment that our that our attitude, that our lives, that our action, that our witness will all line up with who he says he is. Because he's faithful. James tells us that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If you're here this morning and you want to have hope, you want to have a, a Christ-centered attitude in the middle of defeat, you've got to spend time in intense prayer crying out to God. One of the we don't we don't really like talking about fasting a whole lot, right? Like we like talking about the fellowships and the, and the potlucks and, and the donuts that we had before. And we, we like talking about all that, right? One of the most intense times that we can pray is when we give up that food and say, God, you're more important than this right now. This is more important than this right now. And as much as I hunger you, physically, I hunger for you more. I need you. It's when we pray intensely that with with this intensity, that the that the Christ-centered attitude in the middle of defeat happens. Number one, spend time in intense prayer. But number two, if we're going to have a Christ-centered attitude, we have got to involve accountability. If we're going to have a Christ-centered attitude in the middle of defeat, we've got to spend time um, with with other believers. You see, God God one of the tools that God uses is other believers that's why it says in hebrews not to give up meeting together some are in the habit of doing but encourage one another and all the more as you see that day approaching, right like god uses brothers and sisters to bring about encouragement when it feels hopeless and it feels like we're walking in defeat okay we see that in verse 17 again these two verses again daniel goes to his house he doesn't just pray he makes the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Mishael, and Abednego, his, his companions. Verse 18, He told them to seek mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. What does he do? Daniel calls his best buds. And listen, the type of best buds you have matters. Did you know that? Like, like your best buds. They need to be Those who love the Lord. Right, like I'm not saying don't be friends with the lost. You've heard me say a million times to be friends with the lost, right? Because our our job, our one responsibility is to share the Gospel. How are we going to share the Gospel? We have no lost friends. But listen, our closest buds have to be those who love the Lord. Know and love the Lord. Why? Because if your buds don't know the Lord and you go to them Um, about about a marriage issue, you know what they're going to say? She shouldn't treat you like that. You deserve better. You deserve to be happy. Right? If your best buds don't love the Lord in your moment of despair, they're going to say something or do something to put your eyes on you and take it off God. He goes to these guys, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these guys go through a lot together. Um, scholars will say that these guys, again, they're probably middle middle teenagers, probably 15. Um, These guys, as they bring them into captivity, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and and the other other guys that that are brought into captivity from different nations, again, they're trying to educate them. They're trying to make them into Babylonians. The brightest of the bright. They're uprooted from their family, taken hundreds of miles away, put into a new culture by themselves. And the goal is to make them Babylonians. Sure, they talked a lot about home. Sure, they talked a lot about family. But God had placed them there together. And I would say for each other. The next chapter, chapter three, we get the fiery furnace, right? Well, that'll be next week. You can read ahead, though, if you want. It's, it's a good story. Th- these three guys. The only ones that say I'm not going to worship idols, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, say we're not. We're not going to do it. Say, oh, you! Oh, yes, you will. We're going to throw you in the furnace. Warm it up. We're not bowing down. They walk through the fire together with a fourth who looks like the Son of God and they're not even singed. The guys outside the fire are dying, and they're in the middle of it. Can you imagine what they must have seen as they go through these things together? It helps. It helps knowing your godly friends have your back. When Catherine was spending her 66 nights and 67 days in California and then the rehab center in Bethany, um, those were some dark, dark days for me. And it was okay. It was great when when Gary and Nooney were there with us at the beginning, and then they had to go, and it was was good. It was okay when Randy was there with me. But when that 10- to 14-day hospital stay turned into 66, at some point, Mama's got to get back with the other kids. At some point, Daddy's got to get back and preach, and, and for... Most of 66, 67 days, Randy and I are crossing paths in the airport. You guys remember this. Addie Addie was two weeks old. I missed the first two months of her life because all I got to see her was that long in the, in the airport. Some dark days. Dark days of being in isolation 1,500 miles away from my family, um, from friends. And it's just me and Catherine. And a good chunk of the time, she's sedated, not waking up, and it's hard. There were times I didn't know if I was going to make it. As hard as I mean, I know I sound like a big wimp. There are days I felt like I wasn't going to make it, and I, I could, I had to text my guys, right, like my, like my friends. Some of them are in this room, and say, "You got to stop what you're doing and pray for me now, because I don't know if I'm going to make it." And I could literally feel the hand of God bringing peace all over me. Because 1,500 miles away, guys were interceding for me. It was as if we were in the same room and they were laying hands on me praying. A great act of God. God has placed brothers and sisters for accountability and He uses them to help us have a Christ-centered attitude when we can't see it. When we can't see what's going on. Maybe you don't have a Christ-centered attitude in the middle of the feet. Maybe, you're, maybe your attitude stinks a little bit because you're going through a tough time. Or maybe it stinks because you're just being a baby like I am sometimes. But listen, God uses brothers and sisters to hold us accountable. Our attitudes accountable. Sometimes that accountability happens through a word of encouragement. And sometimes it's through someone saying, suck it up, buttercup. but let's, let's go. Both are appropriate in my life. And God uses both of those. If we're going to have a Christ-centered attitude, when all we see is defeat, we must take advantage of those that God has placed in our lives for accountability. Number one, we're going to have a Christ-centered attitude in the middle of defeat. We've got to spend time in intense prayer. Number two, we've got to involve godly accountability in our lives. And number three, number three, if we want this Christ-centered attitude in the middle of defeat, number three, we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. Look at verse 20 um, with me. Verse 20. So, So verse 17 and 18, Daniel Daniel doesn't know the dream. He doesn't know the dream, doesn't know the interpretation. Somewhere between verse 17 and 18 and and then verse 20, God reveals him the dream. Okay, so, So in verse 20, God has shown Daniel the dream. And so Daniel answers. Daniel answered and said to them, Blessed be the name of our God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness. And the light dwells in Him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the kings matters. In the roller coaster, the ups and down roller coaster of life, it's important that we keep our eyes on Jesus. Daniel, Daniel's worshiping right here. I mean, he's celebrating God's goodness. He's celebrating God's God speaking into his life. He's, spe- he's celebrating the activity of God doing all the work in his life. He's worshiping partly because God's rescued, right? Like God's revealed the dream. God has given what he's asked for. And so part of the reason he's celebrating is because God's rescued him, but He also part of the reason he's celebrating is because God has proven himself faithful in the past, and Daniel has no reason to doubt him now. Again, all these kings that are going to come in, all these kingdoms that are going to come in and rule over Israel. He says, you're the one that sets up kings and takes them down. You're the one that brought us here to Babylon. We didn't... We didn't we don't want to be here, but you've proven faithful through it, and I have no reason to doubt you now, even if it doesn't turn out the way I thought that it would. When does God not prove faithful? Again, chapter three. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego says they say our God's able to deliver us. Throw us in the furnaces. Our God can deliver us. But even if He doesn't, we will still not bow down to your God. And He delivers. Chapter 6 of Daniel. Daniel is thrown into the lion's den with hungry, hungry lions. And they pull him out the next morning without even a scratch. When is God not faithful? You say, well, yeah, I could say he's faithful to me if he would heal this disease or heal this or or fix this. Then, then I could say that he's faithful. Oh, you're using examples where it turns out well for him. What about Stephen, right? Stephen in the book of Acts. They take rocks and hammer, hammers this man with these rocks until he dies right before his death. He sees in the heaven. He says, behold, I see the Son of God seated at the right hand of God. No one else saw it. You in your darkest day. The day that God will take you. Maybe it's gonna be like that for us. Maybe, maybe no one else knows it, but maybe in that, that last moment Jesus shows up himself, says, You want to get out of here? He is faithful no matter what the situation says. There's not a furnace we'll walk through that He isn't right there. There's not a lion ready to tear us apart and He's not right there. Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil because He is there. We only must keep our eyes on Him. The only human that ever walked on water was Peter, right? Like like Jesus, fully he was fully human and fully God, right? Like Peter wasn't. The only human that ever walked on water that wasn't the Son of God, that wasn't God, was Peter, and he steps off, starts walking, as long as his eyes are on Jesus. The moment he gets distracted by all the waves and the wind and all the things we get distracted by too, he begins to sink. Until he cries out to God, as like we talked about in a minute ago, and God rescues him. See, the key to a Christ-centered attitude in the middle of defeat is keeping our eyes on Jesus. Number one, number one, this we have to spend time in intense prayer. Number two, we have to involve godly accountability. Number three, we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus, and we're going to have a Christ-centered attitude in the midst of defeat. But number four. Number four, we've got to keep a kingdom perspective. Not a kingdom perspective, right? That was going to rise and fall. Kingdoms were coming and going. But a kingdom perspective. All these kingdoms are going to rule, but let's look at the last kingdom that he mentions. Look at verse uh, 34 with me. As you looked... A stone was cut out by no human hand. And it struck the image on its feet of the iron and clay and broke it to pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, all together were broken into pieces and became like the chaff of summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. Did you know that not a trace of any kingdom that we build our own kingdom, not a trace of it, will be found. But listen, verse 35, but the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Can i tell you what Daniel is speaking of in this, in this passage. He's in captivity. He would be for some time. But what he's speaking of is the rescuer. Who would one day come? See, Jesus would one day come. He wouldn't set them free from the earthly bonds that they face. He wouldn't set them free from Rome. But he would set their hearts free. He would set them free from sin. The rescuer would come. Jesus would come. He would put their law, but he would put the law on their hearts, and so with affection and love and gladness. They would worship, and in their hearts would be sown to God, not out of duty, because of the Rescuer, because Jesus was coming. He gave all who believed in Him a right to become children of God. See the Rescuer who would come. He would be He would be born of a born born as a baby. The God of the universe would choose to be to come and be born of a ba- as a baby, and He died for our sins, and He rose again. And He ascended into heaven. And listen, He's coming back. He's coming back for us. Babylon's temporary. Babylon might last for a lifetime for us. But listen, Babylon is temporary. One day, we won't have to say goodbye to those we love. One day, we won't hurt. One day, we won't have to give in to sin. One day, all the wrongs will be made right. One day... This rescuer is going to undo everything and it's going to be glorious. It's going to be good. Even on the darkest of days, we have hope because He's coming back to take His children home. That means we can have confidence. We can have confidence that anything you and I face today or tomorrow, anything we face, has not first passed through His hands. Anything we face today, tomorrow, yesterday, anything we face, that God will work for the good, all things, those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. Let me remind you that our attitudes should reflect what we have coming. Maybe today, Maybe we just spend some time in intense prayer today. Just crying out to them. It feels like no one's listening, so no one else is listening. It feels like we can't handle the situation. We we don't know what to do to fix it. Maybe just cry out to them. Maybe involve some godly accountability. Maybe have some men or, or women just gather around you and pray for you. And encourage you. Say, come walk alongside me. I don't have it figured out. I need help with my attitude too. But us walking together, encouraging each other. That's how God uses the sanctification process. Maybe we would just worship Him now. In a second we're going to have a a time of, of response, a time of invitation where we worship the Lord. Maybe we forget about everything going on for a second and just marvel at who He is as we sing to Him. Maybe maybe today we just keep a kingdom perspective that we remind ourselves we're not living for this world. That our kingdoms are going to rise and fall. He's faithful. One day He's coming back if you don't know Him, if you don't know Him, you can. Like in this very moment, if God is, is stirring in your heart. Listen, I was seven years old. I don't have a memory of not knowing a story about God. I don't have a memory of not loving God because my parents and grandparents taught me that He's the man. He's the one. No one like Him. I have a memory of not loving him, but at age seven, he just He called me from death to life, from sin to salvation. He's calling you today. Can I encourage you to, to put your faith in him? That his death on the cross was a good enough payment for your sin. Can I encourage you to repent and turn from your ways to fall in Christ? That's, that's when salvation occurs, as he reveals to us our need for him we place our, our faith and trust and belief in Him. His death was enough. And we repent and we turn from our life to following Him. Let me encourage you to do that today. Let's pray. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that it brings about encouragement. And God, I've, I've prayed as hard as anyone in this room that You would heal. Sometimes You do and sometimes You, you don't. But God, I can even be thankful now of the times you haven't done what I've asked because of the place it's led me to trust in you even more. I'm fearful because I know myself that if you said yes to everything I asked, I'm fearful that I'd treat you like a genie in a bottle just calling on you when I need you to grant something for me. God, thank you that on the darkest of days is when you've been most present, and your grace has been sufficient. And God, I want to pray. I want to pray that same thing for those that are seated out here right now, that that are going through some health issues, some marriage issues, parenting, um, kids, work. They're just they're struggling. Would you encourage them? Would you help them to have a kingdom perspective? You bring healing to their hearts. Yes, would you fix the situation? Yes, would you do that? Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that we're going to see next week. Even if you don't. Even if you don't. Your grace is sufficient. Bring healing today. And save today. We ask these things In the name of Jesus, that's a wonderful name. Amen.